Yo, yo, hey, hey guys, welcome back to the Bitcoin Podcast. Cast, cast, cast. Yeah. Bitcoin Podcast. We don't uh, do special effects, only ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Low budget. Uh, yeah, it's pretty low, pretty low budget around these parts. You know, we don't even use post-it notes. We use off-brand post-it notes. They don't stick to anything. They do for like 15 seconds. Yeah. Yeah, so the brand really should just be called Loose Paper. Is what should the <laughs> no, as one of my, one of my pet peeves is is off brand post it notes. It's like, what's the fucking point? This isn't you sticking first to world shit. Problems. You have first world problems. That's your pet peeve. It's one of them. Yeah, it's not like it's not like dysentery. No, no, it's <laughs> things like that and like. When I order no ice and then I get ice in my drink, it's a real thorn in my side. And when I don't have access to a bidet, you know. You know, when you're, when you're talking about dysentery, did you know that there's like... Oh, Jesus. Only a few million cases of tuberculosis. Like, if Bill Gates could, like, if he wanted to, I think it would only be like $3 a dose for the vaccination for that. And, like, he could wipe it out for, like, I don't know, like $30 million, right? Something like that. I did not know that. What a prick. I, Bill Gates is an asshole. He hadn't done that. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, why doesn't yeah. somebody, like, fix that? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious. We should say what we're doing yeah. here and who we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sorry, guys. This is the Bitcoin podcast. You know, we talk about cryptocurrency most of the time, some of the time. You know, I, you know this is your... This is your first cryptocurrency podcast. Uh, you're about to experience the best hour of your fucking life. And I'm dead serious there. Like, uh, There's a lot of things that probably could have happened in your life. Better than sex, better than roller coasters, better than, better than, better than a baby, better than warm melted marshmallow, uh, You know, better than uh, post-Thanksgiving meal naps. Better than regular post-it notes. You know, better than, uh, you know, better just than Pop-Tarts. Better than pop tarts, like everything that you're about to experience is better than those things, right? So, look at your firstborn, tell them I'm sorry, and experience, <laughs> experience this. So, uh, we talk about crypto and shit. I did a thing this week, guys. Are you ready for it? Tell, say who who are you? Uh, nobody's a shit. <laughs> are you ready? For, no, I'm playing. My name, I'm the I'm the host that talks first. My name is Dimitrik. We've been doing this for 341 episodes, and you still quite. 
don't want to say your name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just like, oh, put my business in the street. You know what I'm saying? My name is Dimitric. Uh, you know, I'm a young black fellow from the streets of uh, t- uh, Texas. You know, you know, I was raised by the streets, suburbia. You know, suburbia. The, <laughs> the streets Hard of suburbia. Gangster suburbia. Yeah, I know. I mean, I used to listen to P Diddy, so that's me. Your turn, Corey. Yeah, I'm Dr. Corey Petty. I do stuff. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. His name was Puff Daddy then. All right. Your turn. I said it. That's all I got. Uh, I'm I'm the other host. I'm just here along for the ride. It's fun. Mr. Jesse. Yeah. Jesse Lyons' name broke. All right. What are you talking about today? I I did a thing. I did the thing, guys. Before we get into the Bitcoin stuff, I did the thing. I finally fucking figured out how to get Avalanche as a U.S. citizen. Oh my oh, god! Did you? you know, I you did get it in your own wallet. You get it in your own wallet. Uh, no, it's on an exchange, but it's there. <laughs> I don't care. You know, it's there. I don't care. Good, good. Uh, that's a good start. It is a good start. It's a pretty good damn start, damn it. I've been trying to American citizen. US citizen is uh is rough when in crypto. Yeah. And it's rough when you go to the hospital, you know. So it's it's better than most other places (laughs) in the world. (laughs) A lot of rough a lot of things rough around the edges around here, you know. But anyways, uh so this is the week where we actually talk about Bitcoin (laughs) because our show is called the Bitcoin Podcast. And this space has evolved so much over the years that we eventually just kind of naturally talked about things that were making a little more movement than Bitcoin. But we're going to try to talk about Bitcoin in this episode. We're going to get the, you know, get this out of the way. You know, Bitcoin's price is doing its thing. You know, it went up a lot. Now it's still up a lot. People are losing their shit because it went down a little bit. But I mean, let's just be honest. It's up quite a fucking lot, you know. Uh, but that's price. But some of the things going on in Bitcoin that people not be might not be privy to because we just don't talk about them a lot. And the general co- crypto community, do, I found that is so unaccepting of them that that the Bitcoin, I guess, developers, core users, whatever you want to call them, they kind of stick to their own nowadays. But there have been some developments for Lightning Network. We have Strike. Uh, which is like a company that uses uh, the Lightning Network for payments. Uh, the Lightning Network is developing. It's really slow and clunky, but it is developing. And then we have Taproot, which was, um, sorry, this is where I get all confused, where like it's submitted to the code, but then it has to be rigorously, I guess, audited. And then it could be it could be actually launched on Mainnet for Bitcoin. It's in the code base of of, of the client, meaning that uh, it 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 would work, but it has not been accepted as canon, or like it had the protocol has not changed. There would need to be a vote on chain on basically making sure that mm-hmm. people can start using it and forming transactions that would be considered valid. That has not happened yet. And the process yeah. of that happening has not been understood. So, and, and if and if history has told us things, changing things like that in Bitcoin is never a simple concept. We'll see how that works. I, for one, hope that it happens and it happens smoothly because it, it opens up a lot of opportunity for Bitcoin. But I don't have my hopes up. Yeah. The latest development in all of the Bitcoin is that Corey is Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah. I just, I just lost all my keys. I don't have any money. I'm broke. 
What were you gonna say, Jesse? I interrupted you. I was gonna say like it's we're gonna have like another like what, Bitcoin somebody's vision. So <laughs> next oh, Bitcoin man. classic Bitcoin. classic. BCC Bitcoin, Bitcoin Core's vision. vision. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Bitcoin do with that. Vision. What would your suing. Bitcoin be, Corey? My Bitcoin would be uh hmm. Hmm. good question. I don't know. I don't what know would how you I change things. I wouldn't do what BSV is doing. That's for damn sure. It would be more. It would be more akin to what uh, BC, like Bitcoin Cash, is doing. It would have Segwit. Mm-hmm. It would have Segwit though. It would definitely have Shore Taproot. Uh, it's hard to say because scripting systems uh, on top of Bitcoin are really hard to do. Although apparently, and this is something I haven't read into, which I'd like to um, stacks. What's what's Muni Bali's project? Um, we've had him on here a few times. Mm-hmm. No one, no mm-hmm. one know. No. Who? Stacks. Who it's called. I think it's called Stacks. Alicia. S-T-A-X? S-T-A-X? I bet. I think I heard of that. Well, forgot. Anyway, they have done smart contracts, smart contract system on top of Bitcoin. Um, Ooh, that's probably the, terribly inefficient. No, Munir Ali knows what he's doing. If I if I have to respect anybody in the in the entire Bitcoin ecosystem, he's one of the top five. Uh, blocks that, right? You know, you know what is kind of annoying is that this go around. I feel like Bitcoin's very slow and sluggish scaling uh, attempts are actually doing exactly as far as keeping costs down what they propose to do, but at such a snail's pace that the general crypto user can't fathom the pace. What do you mean keeping costs down? Well, like transaction fees. The transaction fees are high. How high is high? Isn't the average transaction fee like $14 in Bitcoin right now? Okay, I tried to send some shit on Ethereum the other day. It tried to cost me $85 fucking dollars. Well, you're trying to do one complex contract stuff. You're doing complex, like one transaction does can do a simple transfer of Ether or a tremendous amount of things on with a bunch of different smart contracts. That's like one transaction does not mean one thing on Ethereum. Whereas it it, it has a more confined role in other th- in smart contract systems like like Ethereum. I could dig it and I'm tracking. But for what I wanted to do, yeah. You think it's not difficult, but there's a lot of things going on on the smart contracts for that transaction you tried to do. A lot. See? Isn't the minimum uh like if you think about it, isn't it like was it sixty to eighty thousand away or something like that for like a the numbers. like the like when you look simple. at when you go to like sgas.gasnow.org, yeah. uh, uh, which is like a yeah. good way to kind of predict what gas prices are going to be on Ethereum, uh, that that uh, price quote is for a simple transfer of Ether. Oh, okay. So like kind of the minimum the minimum amount of what a transaction could be. Versus I was looking what? at like syntax costs, right? Because like every everything costs something, right? And I, I know there was a website I came across one point where it's like it, it tells you exactly like how much it costs to run like a like a loop, like a for loop, yeah. or like one iteration or whatever. Does that does that make sense to you? Like D, like what the gas costs are for different types of computation on Ethereum? Yeah, they pay for different computer stuff. Yeah, so like depending on how ex- how computationally expensive that thing is, or like, mm-hmm. or if it's doing like scarce resource type stuff like I/O, like storage storage of variables, the price for doing that atomic thing on a computer 
cost a different amount. And then when you start adding all these things up in terms of like doing more complicated stuff, the gas prices grow. So the more complex thing you do or the more like uh, resource draining thing you do, like storage or any combination of those two, the more the more transaction happens. And so you start mm-hmm. looking at like ERC-20 tokens and staking them somewhere and then defining the, like the rules in which they can be engaged with and released. That's a lot of different things that are happening all at once in a single transaction that makes it really expensive as opposed to like me sending you the base asset of either. That's why it's so expensive. Uh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Thanks Alicia. Yeah. Segwit with two segwit. inputs right now. Yeah. yeah. It's 869. So like, yeah, I mean, it's, but the, let's hold on. Let's 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 not shrug that off like it's not a big deal. Like this is this is one thing I gotta put out there. Like that's a monumentally big deal. And in 2017, so we're talking about three years and some change. Uh, now we've gone from a time period. And by the way, the volume is a lot higher than in 2017. A lot. Agreed. Where the fees got up to with volume like a fraction of the size it is now, fees got up to 25 and 50 dollars. And now we have volume orders, not orders of magnitude, but much higher than it was then. And it's 869. How is that not progress? All right. That's progress. But what is interesting about that is that what does it have that other things can't do? I can do the same thing with probably like I can probably transfer a billion dollars or more around the same costs with a bunch of different networks. So like the, the, like what's, what's, what's the pitch for Bitcoin? Why is it better than the networks that can do the exact same thing? Cause it has more liquidity. It's not. Well, I don't well, think it is. Name, 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 name recognition, first mover advantage. Well, that's, a, that's a huge part of it. It's also Narrative. a tremendous Believe. amount. I think there's like, I don't, I don't know the difference in the market caps right now. Ethereum is getting up there, but like there's a lot more liquidity yeah. held in Bitcoin. For the purpose of holding Bitcoin and, and holding value, whereas the majority, a lot of the value being held up in Ethereum and the tokens on top of it are, are not so like single purpose driven. Now, that there's an argument to be made whether or not that's good or bad, but like the defining feature of Bitcoin can be done by a bunch of things within the, just within the cryptocurrency space at a good portion of the volume that Bitcoin can do it. What so about like, security? I would argue that the only network that can have a similar security would be Ethereum, and it's not as big because of uh, I don't know. I haven't looked at the like the difference between the two hashing powers of the two. Bitcoin mining is more centralized because it's ASIC driven. Like you can still run your own validator on Ethereum and it be profitable, so people do it. I know multiple people who do it, and they're just regular ass people. That is not the case for Bitcoin in any way, shape, or form. So. Ethereum would be more decentralized in terms of the mining. So the hash rate is arguably more stable, even though it's smaller. It's more, it's less susceptible to uh, 51% attacks and collusion because it's more decentralized. Although the overall hash rate is much larger in Bitcoin, just held within smaller, smaller groups of people. You know, the hash rate for Ethereum is actually I can't tell if this million. This has got to be million, right? M. Yeah, yeah. this million. Um, so, 
Hold on. Let me let me uh share my screen for a second. No, no, do not share your screen. Do not share your screen. Oh, don't share my screen. Do not <laughs> share your screen. Oh. You will fuck up this recording. So I've got I, I've got this value of 153 tera uh, tera hash per second, but I think it's 153, and then there's an M. So I'm assuming that's million, right? That's got to be million because I think we're in exahash on Bitcoin, right? I can't look. I'll have Ball to part. set up a different. Ball I need part. to set up multiple scenes on. You should OBS. know this. You should know this I, like the back I, of your hand. I wasn't listening. I was I was trying to figure out whether or not you're gonna script the recording. How <laughs> many Terra in a exa? In an exa. I think X is twelve, Terra is nine. No, t- nine is giga. Then you have Terra. No, X is more. Then you than have 12. Peta, then you have Exa. I think I think X is like a million million. That sounds right. No, Exa you're right. That's Peta. You're right. Yeah. Peta is above Terra. Because I because I've dealt with like a lot of the conferences that I go to in my, in my in graduate school was petascale level co- computation conferences, mm-hmm. um, and then the exit and then exa started becoming a thing uh, later. Yeah, exa's like the concept exa's, of exa was later. Exa's here now. It's hot in these streets. Bitcoin's been in the exa land for a long time. How many exa has are we looking at for the old Bitcoin? Whatever happened to Bitcoin wisdom? That site got shut down. I'm so sad about it. Maybe just got tired of doing it. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I'm sure the Internet Archive has it. 413. The TBN production channel real quick. 413.57 terahash per second. So that's right. a lot smaller than... The other one is 149 million terahash per second, right? For Bitcoin? Yeah. Ethereum is yeah. that... So that's 149 exa hash for Bitcoin. Now you also like the tera hash per second, four and thirteen. And the other picture. God damn! Think about that. Like it's hard for me. That's that's it's hard for me to sit back and hear these arguments against Bitcoin. Like that's not a big deal. We're talking about 149 million million per second. Like that number's so big. I think I just peed a little. It's like, interesting about pers- that. It's, it's a it's a lot. It's a tremendous amount. It's like the size of these networks is way bigger than anyone would have thought they were going to be. I think when Bitcoin, like when, when this podcast started out, yeah. Uh, things of note: um, the hashes between Ethereum and Bitcoin are not directly comparable. Yeah, they're not. They're, they're doing similar, two. They're, they're doing very different things in they're terms of like different. actual computation yeah. being done. They're this very different. So These like facts. hash per second is a very different thing based on the algorithm you're doing it on. Two, is there a weight? What do you mean a weight? Can you like weight a, them you so you can together? have an equivalency? Uh, like a, know, so I'm sure there is. I don't know how good it is um, because ASIC is a not is not a memory intensive um, like the, the SHA two fifty six algorithm is not a memory intensive algorithm, and uh, what what you do ether hash on Ethereum is purposefully. And I'd be curious to see what kind of weighting you could have between those two things. Also like access to hardware plays a plays a role here, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, it's a bunch of other factors. So like, they're not directly comparable, but the fact like if you look at the trends, it's, it's a shitload of energy being pumped so, in. Doing nothing other than solving a problem. That, like, that is like known computationally hard for a given time. Yeah, that's all it does. It's not it's not like which is 
interesting because you cannot re reproduce the blocks unless you reproduce the work to guarantee the block, which is why we have this security. But it's, that, that's all that energy goes to, nothing else. Mm. Some would say that's wasteful. Some would say it's not. Uh, I think it's more wasteful than it needs to be. I agree. Re it's going to get renewable one day. We're forcing the no, envelope, baby. We're going to force this shit. We're going to force the envelope. You can't get Texans to like, not blame wind energy. Yeah, but they're Texan, you know. They're missing stuff. <laughs> Good, like now we're burning, something. we're burning oil. We're we're, we're pouring yeah. oil oil over our ASICs to make sure that they run better. Yeah. Is, is is what's going yeah. on in Texas? How did we get? Hold on, this is kind so of Texas off topic. topic. This is a little <laughs> bit off new, topic, but uh, how did BP get off the hook for all that oil they spilt into the ocean? All the I remember uh, watching that shit for like two weeks, where their oil was just straight coming up out of the earth in the ocean. And they were basically like, "Yeah, we don't even fucking know how to stop this." So they gave yeah. millions of money to to Dove to make commercials about cleaning ducks. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Do I made that up, but that's how you do it. What were you gonna say, Jesse? No, just uh, what, what were the advancements in Bitcoin that you wanted to talk about? Um, I mean, I listed them, but I didn't go oh. into detail. Like Taproot, we got the oh, Schnorr yeah. thing. Oh, so this nothing. Is, I mean, Bitcoin's not about really. Taproot. I just wanted to talk about Bitcoin because we don't ever really talk about Bitcoin, and people say, "Oh, this is the you Bitcoin, were talking about Bitcoin podcast." I'm you know, it's about interesting. Bitcoin. I mean, it's it's ancillary to Bitcoin, but yeah. I think it's important. I think it I think it impacted the Bitcoin price. Uh huh. And that was the um, the ruling on on uh, Tether. Yeah, that's oh. true. That that probably is part of what brought it down a little I bit. I think like like it happened like the major major the the large uh like what was like fifteen percent drop around in Bitcoin. Yes, fifteen percent. Um was right hours before that was released. Mm -hmm. At least okay, I'll say it. Hours before I saw it and it really and it was released on the site that I saw it on, which is the government site. Um so like I think that impact because that like the amount of money in Tether is so big and that an exchange in which it's tied up in is so big probably had a pretty had some impact on um, like sentiment towards the price of Bitcoin and a bunch of people sold. And then that then yeah. like starts a trigger of other people selling due to fear. Yeah, I think that is what happened. I don't I don't think it's gonna be a long term. I think we're hitting a local low. Like I think you I think you hit the nail on the head, hitting a pretty solid local high. I think for the next few weeks, we hit this local low where people are getting their mind correct again. Um, but there's still only so much supply for this demand. So, got to say, but, I got to say. Yeah, man. You hit I it told twice. You so. I told you so two times in a row. Me too. <laughs> Let's go to Vegas, man. No. We did a little we tried that once. Plus. It didn't work out. No, we went to Vegas, but we were young. You were oh, young no. I went to Vegas. Man. I was in Hong Kong, and I went yeah. to... Uh, what is that? Um, what is a place near near Hong Kong that's like the like Las Vegas in in Asia? Uh, it's like, it does like six times more volume, like volume of. And, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, but I've heard about it. Um, oh, not Taiwan. What? Ow. Jesse, would you give Bitcoin to a stripper? Would you give Bitcoin to a stripper? It depends on where the QR code was. Wow. The answer the answer for D is yes. Yeah, and we had a problem. We I remember earlier in the show, back when Cello was with us, we talked about making the Make It Rain app. Yeah, that would have been dope. Where you could like 
somehow or another like tip with Bitcoin, but like make something physical happen to a stripper or like put like you talked about putting QR codes. Macau. Thank you, Alicia. We went to Macau and uh, I went on like a super hot gambling street, but I ended up throwing up in a trash can and walking out. That's a party. It was, it was crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's the thing? Oh, yeah. And then we talked about making the Make It Rain app somehow because like it's not new. This is when was the, Le- the Legends Club from the old UFC fighter. He yeah, made like a Bitcoin only VIP yeah, club in Vegas. You swipe the dollar bill that is a little bit of Bitcoin up on your phone, and then like it makes like it makes fake it makes dollar bills rain from the ceiling. So you yeah. just make it rain, which is really stupid, really dumb. Like if you just so was the so was the money gun, but like that's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, the answer to your question, Jesse, is yes. But you didn't answer my question. You answered my question with a question. I did. I'm, I'm actually did. curious about what you guys thought about. Do you guys pay attention to U.S. Uh, Treasury bond futures at all? No. What? What do I look like? I'm 75 years old. Fucking sure that's the reason why Bitcoin dropped because that shot <laughs> yeah. up. Oh, it did. Can the you explain that? Strengthening. Yeah. Can you explain that? No, I cannot. Then how do you know? <laughs> Basically, the the yield, the 30 the 30 year yield. I guess this is this is just like lay, layman terms that I am a layman explaining it to more laymen. From what I understand, it's like the yield, the 30-year yield on buying a futures for the U.S. Treasury bond went up to like 1.5% versus like being at like 1.2%. That's, and so that since that, out, that, out, that yeah, outlook... We're talking about a lot of money, go Gord. Yeah. yeah, it's like a lot. Yeah. Okay. Like a small yeah, percentage like, shift results... You saw Superman like, too, right? Yeah. No fractions of fractions i've seen office space oh yeah there we go you've seen office space vis-a-vis anyways so uh i want to say this for the audience listening so you know why this is i have to say this a few times a year maybe four or five times a year it makes sense for those of you listening like we've been around long enough to know that at one point many moons ago when you used a lowercase b in reference to bitcoin you were talking about the currency when you use an uppercase B, you're talking about the technology. So we still pay homage to that with our show. That's why it's called the Bitcoin Podcast. But if you go listen back 35, 75 episodes, the probability of us actually talking about Bitcoin is very high. Right. We're talking about these other technologies, these other things that have an opportunity to, to build upon the space. So that's a short history lesson for your ass. All right. Now we're going to we're going to uh, we're going to go into the interview now. We had a pretty good interview with the FIO protocol, field protocol, FIO protocol. He actually said all three things. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Luke Stokes. Uh, it was a great interview. Um, shit, I'm not going to waste no time. Here it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another one of the Bitcoin podcast interviews. But you already knew what time it was because... Cause you knew what time it was. Uh, we got a. We, I think we got a good one here. Um, I was reading up about FIO protocol today, actually. Yeah. And I'm. I feel like I'm impressed. It's just a feeling, though. So that's why we've invited Luke Stokes on the show. Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, D. I love that. It feels like a feeling. Let's see what that feels like at the end. I love it. Yeah. 
I feel impressed. I did I did some reading and I was like, okay, universal wallet. That sounds appealing because right now I know personally, well, it's kind of a gift and a curse because I found wallets just this year that I hadn't looked at in years. And I was like, oh, happy birthday to me. <laughs> happy, happy birthday to me. But, um, you know, it's a problem. I have, I think, double digit number of phones or wallets on my phone. Um, and I've even had a couple instances in the past where I've lost, I changed my phone and lost a wallet and lost that money and it's gone. And it was a little bit of money then, but might not be now. Might not be now. <laughs> yeah. Does it, we, I think anyone who's been around for a little while has enough of those stories that they're like, yep, that was my tuition and those were my costs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so anyways, Luke, you know, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping the gun here. I'll let you talk to your company, but first, who are you? Who's Luke Stokes? Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how you got into crypto. Awesome. Yeah. Happy to chat about it. Thanks again for having me on. I appreciate it. I've been in, so back before I got into crypto, I majored in computer science, have a technical background. I started a company called Foxy Cart with a buddy of mine. It was an e-commerce shopping cart company. So I was familiar with the payment space, credit card industry, acquirers, payment gateways, all that kind of stuff. And around 20, actually it was 2011 when I first heard about Bitcoin and I was like, yeah, it's silly fake internet money. That's never going to work. But it was like around 2013, it's actually January, 2013 that I get, really got into it. And I bought my first Bitcoin. I spent uh, 50 bucks and I got two and a half Bitcoin. So I was, I was my first purchase was 20 bucks a coin. And I figured uh, that's a pretty good deal. And I was pretty excited about that. That whole year, just watching 2013 was amazing. Started a Bitcoin meetup in Nashville, Tennessee, where I was living at the time. And I started trying to get people to integrate Bitcoin into our shopping cart. You know, we had all these stores and everyone's, you know, we're learning about this. And I'm giving presentations. Bitcoin's going to be more disruptive than the Internet. This is the future. And pretty much nobody cared. Too hard to use, too confusing, increasing card abandonment, you know, trying to figure out this Bitcoin thing for the checkout. And there's still like a Bitcoin wiki entry for Foxycart. But it just back then it was too early, you know, and I got a little discouraged with the block size debates and the lack of community cohesion to figure out what the heck Bitcoin's going to be. And then around 2016, I got involved in the Steemit community with the Steam blockchain. Uh, it was it was usable, like everyday normal people could just blog and make crypto and had human readable addresses, which my friends were like, oh, I get that. That's cool. So I eventually became a block producer there. I got recruited to be a block producer with the EOS launch with the EOS DAC, building decentralized autonomous communities and corporations and organizations, DACs and DAOs. Got very passionate about governance and uh, started to get interested in the DPoS space, the delegated proof of stake because they had an on-chain mechanism to like figure themselves out, you know, like you didn't have with proof of work and and all that with the uh, with the Bitcoin and, and even the Ethereum forks and stuff. But so I've been involved in a lot of different projects. Uh, in 2018, I sold my company so I could focus full time on crypto advising and consulting, and was doing a whole bunch of stuff. 2018 was an amazing year, and at the end of that year, I, I ran into the guys that built the first version of the FIO protocol or the FIO protocol or the FIO protocol. It stands for the Foundation for Interwallet Operability basically just making crypto easier for everybody. And it was one of those things where I was like, this, have to, this has to exist. We need human readable addresses for all of our crypto. We can't be like using these crazy hashes. Like all the years I've been trying to get my friends and family into crypto, they just are like, what the hell is this? It's too confusing. So it's got to be as easy as PayPal and Venmo. And it's, we can't sacrifice our, our, our blockchain rights of decentralization, self-sovereignty, things we care about the most. So I saw this project and thought it was cool. Started helping and you know advising, consulting, 
They eventually closed the round, about 5.7 million, led by Binance Labs, and they brought me on as the chief decentralization officer. So I was uh, <laughs> doing that till eventually uh, in December, uh, a little over a year ago, they asked me to be the managing director for the Cayman nonprofit. So as for me personally, I'm still just all into techno- technology stuff. I got a wife and three kids. We live in Puerto Rico. Super passionate about crypto and philosophy and consciousness and all these cool things. And uh, yeah, I guess that's me in a nutshell. Or the avatar I play in this reality, whichever one you prefer. <laughs> this interview is going to be amazing. Hold on. I'm going to go load a bowl. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Wow. Well, that's quite the journey, man. And I like that uh, FIO stands for something. Um, And you're absolutely right. Like crypto does not pass several human tests right now. It doesn't pass the eye test. It definitely doesn't pass the smell test. I think I got a message today where somebody said, hey, I can't believe we're still going through this. But they sent me a message in Facebook Messenger and they said, hey, uh, this dude emailed me and says if I put my private key here, he could secure my wallet. And I was like, what? I was like, wow, that is an old school scam. So it doesn't pass the smell test. It definitely will never pass the field test. So like there's some very human senses that crypto just is like, you know, it gives the prices right, you know, sad music, uh, you know, like, it just doesn't pass it. We're so. going to change that, though. We are. We, we've got some cool stuff. And, and, and we'll see if we can turn your feeling of impressive to, like, the genuine thing. Because it's like right now it's like typing in IP addresses, right? You don't do that when you go to a web page. You type in, you know, a website, you know, or, or preview. I do. <laughs> I do. You got to look at IP address, right? You're like, <laughs> it's like, it's like the Internet before HTTP. It's just like all these different weird protocols, everything's confusing. And then you introduce the hypertext transfer protocol and you get a usability later. You get the World Wide Web, you get web browsers. And then people are like, oh, okay, I get it. And then the internet takes off and everybody uses it. Like, <laughs> yep. Yeah. So we haven't even had our pets.com moment yet. You know, we're not even there yet. Mm. Where, where are we? That's scary. If you had to like compare this to the dot com. Oh man, that's that's one that's I, I've thought about and been asked a number of times mm. for a number of years, and it's like I used to be like, oh, it's you know, two thousand, you know, or, or, or I'm sorry, nineteen like ninety five, nineteen ninety three, and then I'd say like, well, now we're nineteen ninety six, and you know, somewhere around there. I, I built my first websites in in nineteen ninety six, and so I was kind of like, okay, maybe around there, um, but where we're at now, it's like if you look at like if you adjust the currency value and if you, for inflation and all that, there's some interesting arguments that the, the trillions and trillions of dollars you'd need from a market cap perspective to reach the dot-com bubble. Yeah. We're like nowhere close. And so we're still kind of this little like dinky thing that people are still experimenting with. So maybe that puts us in 98, 99. I don't know. It's an interesting, interesting question though. Interesting. Uh, D you're muted. <clears throat> Uh, we're gonna edit that out. We're not, but we'll say we will. <laughs> uh, when you look, when you look at the total market cap of like Bitcoin, a trillion dollars is what we hit. I don't know, was that five minutes ago? Um, it's a, it does seem like a lot, but it's really not. Like yeah. it's not like to some of the money that moves on this planet, a trillion dollars is like I don't know, like a snot bubble that somebody wipes. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just not a lot of money. And I know that's crazy to say out loud, 
but it's not. And then when you start to go into billions, I mean, let's just think about it. Like, there's people on this planet worth like multiple dozens of billions of dollars. Like, it's not, it's not even, it's not, it's not really that much money. Like, so, like you said, Luke, I think you you hit the nail on the head. And that's why people like when I'm talking with uh, tier three GPPs, uh, you don't know what that is, but if we market good enough, you will one day, Luke. <laughs> You will. A GPP, that's a new one for me. Yeah. Uh, just a long story short for the new listeners, our, our host that couldn't make it, Corey Petty, um, one day he started referring to end users as general purpose people. And I thought that was like such a fucked up way to think about somebody. There's like, like NPC and then there's GPP and they're probably pretty close based yeah, on how you describe that. They're interchangeable. So anyways, we've been calling them GPPs for a long time. And, uh, you know, you're a GPP in some things, Luke. Like you probably don't know what happens when you hit the light switch. Maybe you do. I don't. Jesse does. He's not a GPP. But I'm a light switch GPP. I need the light to come on when I hit the switch. But when I say crazy stuff to GPPs about like what the price is going to do and what it could do, I just look like this crazy person. They're like, what do you mean $75,000 of Bitcoin? And I'm like, it's very possible and it's probably going to happen and you shouldn't be alarmed uh, because there's only so much Bitcoin and there's a lot, a lot of money, infinity money. So, you know, so anyways, I'll get off my soapbox. So what... It sounds to me like FIO is trying to force its hand to make addresses legible regardless of the cryptocurrency that you're trying to send or receive. Yes. And I would say even regardless of which wallet or service provider or exchange you want to use. So unlike a lot of other products and services, it's a decentralized business model. It's an open protocol that We've got over, I think, 14, actually 15, if Whitebit just went live, different wallets and exchanges that have integrated the protocol. So what it is in a nutshell is human-readable addresses. So instead of a Bitcoin address, an Ethereum address, anything like that, I've just got Luke at Stokes. There's two parts to that. There's the first part, which is like the FIO name. The second part is the domain. So I have the Stokes domain for my family, and it's a private domain, meaning you have to have the private key for that NFT that is that Stokes domain in order to register an address on that domain. So I've got my kids, I've got Aria at Stokes, Monet at Stokes, Devin at Stokes. I got my kids their own field addresses and they're never gonna know hopefully a world of public keys, these big, long, crazy addresses. They're just gonna know that's my crypto handle, that's my crypto address. And with that field address, in addition to that, cause there's you know other, other people doing wallet naming you got ENS, you got unstoppable domains, you got handshake, you got crux pay, you got you know pay string, all these different things. And they've got different pros and cons to them. Um, but one of the things we're really proud of is the field request and field data features. So in crypto, you can't really like request funds generally, but with FIO, you can. So if you get a FIO enabled wallet like Shapeshift or Edge or Konomi or you know, a whole bunch of them, you can send a request for payment and it'll have in that payment exactly which chain code, exactly which token code and the exact amount that you want, including a memo. So like contextual information about this is what this transaction is for. Because I don't know about you, but like in all the years I've been in crypto, I don't just have like random money show up in my account. Maybe you're luckier than me, but like it just doesn't happen. I think it happened to me one time and it was like from an invoice two months ago. And I was like, where the hell did this money come from? And I have no idea why. Like that's not an experience people are used to. Everything starts with a payment request. You're like, hey, bro, we're spitting lunch. You know, you got to send me money for lunch or rent is due or whatever the heck it might be. 
And we do that in the normal financial world, but we don't do that in crypto because there's not a way to do it. Well, now there's a, a decentralized, self-sovereign, private and secure way to request funds from somebody and make sure they're not going to screw it up. They're not going to send you Bitcoin cash to a Bitcoin address. They're not going to you know, send you Tether from Omni or Tether from Binance Smart Chain if you wanted Tether from you know, ERC-20 Ethereum or whatever. So the idea that it removes all the, well, a lot of the errors that you see in the system today where people have to do a test send, did you get it? I don't know. I got a QR code, but it's not encrypted. How do I know that's even you? You know, and you know, the way we're doing key exchanges right now, that's really what it is. When you get a public address from someone, that's a key exchange. They used to do like full on key signing parties for that stuff, right? You don't just willy nilly do that. And so the idea is that you now have a way to say, oh, Luke at Stokes, I see his Twitter says Luke at Stokes. He told me on this interview, he's Luke at Stokes. If you get a message, a payment request from Luke at Stokes, or, or you want to send crypto to me, you know you can send it to Luke at Stokes because I'm the only one that can map that to public addresses. I'm the only one that can encrypt and send that FIO request to you using Diffie-Hellman shared key. You know, only you and I can read it and all that cool stuff. I'm just basically making crypto easy for everyone to use it. I like this. You know, thanks to the FIO protocol, my sister got pizza. Heck yeah! <laughs> so you're part of ETH Denver? Was she, was she part of ETH Denver? Yeah, she did that. We, we got some codes from uh, from, yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. That was awesome. So like for those who don't know, we, we had uh, ETH Denver was virtual this year because, you know, of the beer virus. And essentially, like a big part of ETH Denver is you get this free food and there's no way to do that in a virtual conference. And so what we came up, actually, Katie Z did an amazing job on our team and marketing. She came up with this idea. What if you could get a pizza? Just show up at your house if you download uh, a FIO enabled wallet and send a FIO request. So we were these little like avatars running around the conference giving out codes for pizza and people are just like swamp in the booth at FIO to be like, give me a pizza code. We give them a code and they fill out a form, <laughs> give them instructions, they download a wallet and then they send their first FIO request. And all of a sudden like a pizza shows up at their door. And it was pretty, it was pretty sweet. That it was pretty sweet. I would have gotten a pizza for my girlfriend, but I didn't do the second steps. I thought the first steps was all I had to do. And then I got an email and it was like, there's more steps. And I was like, I, I can't do this. Yeah, that's exactly, why, that's exactly why we're building a DAP. We're building like a web experience because the onboarding part is still a little challenging because we don't control all the different wallets. Like FIO itself today is not a wallet. It's just a protocol. So different wallets might have different onboarding experiences. And it's certainly not as easy as, as most people expect. Uh, but we're working on that. It's good feedback. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I didn't mean for it to be feedback, but I guess it is. Uh, yeah, I just... I. I don't know. Jesse knows. I like easy buttons as much as possible. I like, I have so, I have so many difficulty buttons that I just <laughs> like easy buttons. And in this case, I was like, there's more steps. That thing only had five steps. Now they're giving me a number one again. That oh, means I'm starting cool. back. That means I'm starting back at square one with more steps. I don't have time. I was always super careful when I <laughs> gave out the code to somebody. I'd be like, all right, here's the deal. Because some people would like just lose the code. They put it in the form and then they didn't know they needed it later for the field request. And there's, so I always try to like set good expectations. But yeah, crypto is hard. We got to make it easier. It's got to be as simple as PayPal and Venmo. And my concern, you know, being in the space for so long, the reason I got into this space, I cared very deeply about self-sovereignty and freedom and human interactions being voluntary. And I look at blockchains as global, decentralized consensus it's like non-violent consensus that we can come together and say hey we agree on something without having to use like guns to do it i think that's amazing and incredible but if we start sacrificing that saying well for the easy button i want i'll go ahead and just trust you know a centralized exchange and i won't control my keys or i'll just trust you know the service provider who's gonna like 
custodian my accounts and, and just do payment requests because I can't do those in a self-sovereign way. And I'm like, uh, eventually it starts to look like the payment industry I was part of for like a decade. You know, if we want usability that's that and centralized and has third-party counter risk and all these other things, let's just go back to that, right? What are we doing here, right? So how do you feel about the way that it is kind of building towards that? I, well, that's why I'm working on the field protocol. I, <laughs> you have to build towards that, right? You're yeah. exactly right. That there are, you know, you've got these amazing staking protocols and these service providers. Like, hey, send us your Bitcoin, and we'll we'll do all these things with it and make you a, a certain interest rate or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I guess, but not your keys. I feel the. It feels the way I feel. I could tell. Take a shower, right? It totally feels because it's just, I mean, my friends lost, I have no friends who lost money with Mount Gox. I was there when that stuff was going down. And, and, and to that point, I think someone reminded me this the other day, and it was a good point. They're like, Mount Gox was like really crappy code. I mean, it's like the security there was horrendous. So what we have today is at least much, much better than back in the early days. But still, it's like mm-hmm. the entire point is self-solving control. And even with a lot of these DeFi platforms, it's like we've moved from trusting a centralized you know, third party with your, your with your tokens to trusting a contract that you, most people didn't audit, and even those who did often m- miss a rug pull command that can you know mint tokens or do whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a challenge, and I just I hope more people who care about these kind of core fundamental principles that represent why blockchain matters to the world, you know, the ability to not be censored, the ability to control your own value, that they don't uh, make those sacrifices. But with that, they have to actually do some work, such as like integrating the VO protocol. A lot of them are like, well, usability, why does that matter? I don't care about the GPPs. Like, screw it. They don't got money to make me my millions. Then what's the point? And I'm just like, oh, I don't think so short term. The number of people in crypto today, just like you were talking about earlier, trillion dollars is a tiny amount of money. Percentage wise, the number of people in crypto today are almost irrelevant. The number of people coming to crypto, when you start doubling the adoption and you continue that doubling and you get out to you know, millions and billions and billions of people coming to crypto. Those are the people that are going to matter most and it needs to be easy for them. Yeah. The only thing I fear is there's two type of people that make things easy. There's people that make things easy, like, and then they spread that knowledge on hopes that everyone else is going to take the easy route too. And then there's people that make things easy. And then they think to themselves, now that I've made this hard thing easy, I'm going to give it out to a bunch of people to do it easily and then just take a cut of all their, their effort now. Like, and that we see that all throughout history, like, um, like the gold mining industry started out tough. It was just some dude named Jimmy with a hammer. And he was like, man, I'm really swinging away at this shit and I'm getting these gold. If I could just come up with something easier, he makes a pickaxe and he's like, Oh, this is easier. Well, yeah, if there were five more Jimmy's, Right. And then eventually he's like, you know, let me get 25 jimmies and then I'll be the 126 jimmy that just looks at all these 25 jimmies swing a pickaxe and I'm just going to take small cuts from all of them, right? Eventually, thing. what I'm trying to say is that decentralization is great, but humanity itself always centralizes. So at what point is it uncomfortable? Like, I guess that's the philosophical discussion that we start to have. At what point is centralization okay? Right. Because things centralized like me right now, I don't give a shit about the sewage in the city I live in. There's a central entity that takes care of that shit, literally. So I don't have to. Right. (laughs) And I'm okay with that. I'm way I'll pay my taxes. I'll pay my fees. If they get too high, I might go to somewhere and yell at somebody who's not going to do anything about it. But 
at the end of the day, that's a centralized service and I'm cool with it. So like, I think crypto needs to start asking these questions for these questions are thrust upon crypto. Yeah. I think, I think it's an important point to make in that, you know, I talked to a lot of, just on Monday, crypto Mondays a week ago, or actually it was Wednesday. It was a different meetup. And I was talking to another crypto OG has been around for, she's been around for a long time. And she was telling me like, She's just like decentralized only. She doesn't want to pay any fees to a centralized exchange. And I was having this exact conversation with her and, and talking about like, if if things are so difficult in their decentralization that nobody uses them, what's the point? Like technology is supposed to help a human being at the end of the day. And I agree with you, like even our own bodies, we are a hierarchy of stuff and people that are all about flat, everything, all about decentralizations. You know, if you don't, if you're not replicating what you see in nature, it's probably not going to last very long. It's probably not very robust. And even as I've spent years working with DAX and DAOs and building decentralized governance platforms and being a participant in platforms like Delegated Proof of Stake with Hive and, and with EOS and others, it's it's beyond just kind of like, okay, you can make it easy or you can make it you know <laughs> difficult and decentralized. It's like, I feel hopefully we don't have to make those compromises because with a DAC and DAO model, for example, you can have every single participant earn and take a cut. So like everybody's a Jimmy and everybody's a guy taking a cut. And the idea being that in a decentralized autonomous consortia or company or corporation or community, however you want to define it, or organization for a DAO, every single token holder gets to participate in, and you can make it as flat as you want. You can have a custodian board that gets elected every year, or in the case of field protocol, every three years, or uh, I'm sorry, every three months or four months, I think it is. And, and the idea being those token elections, straw poll for the board to elect the next members on the board. You also have voting for the actual validators, the block producers on the chain. And then you have mechanisms built into the chain in a decentralized business model. So in this case, for every, you know, I mentioned Shapeshift, Edge Wallet, all these, you know, Infinito, all these wallets that integrate and all these exchanges that integrate, when somebody signs up for a fee address, the chain itself mints a user bounty for them on top of the percentage of fees that they collect. So if somebody signs up a million users, they can make a million dollars in fee. It's a decentralized business model. There was no single organization that had to like vet that or be the counterparty of that. The chain itself is doing it. So I'm really excited about these models where you build a business model where there isn't like this central company, some Enron that can cook the books or whatever. It's all open source. It's all completely permissionless. People can join into the network and participate. And if they add value to the world, then they get rewarded. More of a meritocracy. And if we build those type of things and you start mm. rewarding people for making it easy, then you're going to start to see more easy in the decentralized. So that explains the fast growth of why it's being adopted by exchanges and wallets and by everyone, because if people open up a, a FIO wallet inside of that wallet or they're using the protocol, then it kind of branches out, right? Am I, am I assuming that or is that right? Like yeah, that no, actual wallet company is making revenue based upon how many FIO protocols or FIO wallets yeah, for how many FIO addresses they sign up. So like if, if you guys, for example, were going to be like, I totally want to get, you know, the Bitcoin podcast domain and you start getting your community like, hey, we're going to do giveaways, send a FIO request to drawing at the Bitcoin podcast, right? And then you pick a winner and you send it, you do approve the request and you send them some Bitcoin or whatever, whatever token you want to hype that week. And you, you start making it this exclusive thing that defines your listeners. Like, oh, man, I've got a really cool field address. It's at the Bitcoin podcast. You know, I'm a, I'm a core contributor. I'm a member of their community. And you can start doing things that you couldn't do before. And if that's done, where each one of those that signs up, you get a dollar in field tokens. And it's renewed as well. So if they want to keep using it every year. They've got to renew that. And there's no central company taking all the money. It's about two bucks a year for a field address. 
as far as and those those fees are set by the block producers. We have 30 something different block producers, 20 different countries. Those are token elected by the, the stakeholders. And so they get to set it. They basically vote. And if somebody's got fees that are too high, you could vote them out. Get a different block producer who's got better fees that the community appreciates. And essentially, those fees go mainly to the block producers today, 85%. A small percentage, 5% goes to the foundation, pay people like me and all the developers working on the core protocol, this biz dev, the sales, the marketing, all the people trying to, you know, PR, trying to make this thing happen. And then you've got, again, that 10% that goes to the wallet or exchange, in addition to a 40%, we call it a user bounty, or that's minted by the chain itself. So it's a decentralized business model because we don't have like ICANN, right? ICANN push the HTTP protocol out to the internet. We don't have like a government to raise taxes to go do something like ICANN. So as an industry, we have to do that together. We have to do that ourselves. We have to come together, all the different wallets, all the different exchanges, all the different protocols and say, hey, we need to make this easy because it's just too hard. It's too frustrating, too confusing. And, and we've got a billion people coming to crypto any minute now, like in the next handful of years, it's happening. What are we going to do? What are we going to show them? It's got to be yeah. a better experience. Daniel, I hope you were listening to that amazing idea that Mr. Stokes just gave us. Sorry. No, we'll hook you up. We'll hook you up. Definitely. I, I would love to see communities get it excited about joining around some field address or field domain. I think that'd be super cool. <laughs> nice. I got the thumbs up from Daniel. Sorry. Sorry, Jesse. I interrupted you. No, no, no. no. I, um, I, I wanted to figure out a way to decentralize a business that is not based on um, anything related to crypto aside from you being able to own your own medical information. Mm. And um, I wanted to incentivize with some sort of token incentive that doesn't necessarily have a monetary output, but maybe the holding of the tokens incentivizes you to be consistent with adding more and more medical data so that at some point it kind of like takes, I, I don't, I don't know how much you know about medical data and um, who I just know HIPAA compliance is just a major pain in the butt. I mean, we had it for, for Foxy Car, my previous company, we had to do um, the, uh, I forgot what it's called the payment card industry, you know, uh, it has a whole really high level of security audit that you have to do. It's a really pain, big, big pain in the butt. And the only winning move is not to play, right? You try to remove as many servers as you can from that. But HIPAA compliance I hear is just a, a nightmare. And, and one of the challenges with blockchain is you put that on a blockchain, it's completely public. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. I'd like, I'd like to talk to enough people and pick enough brains. And I'm, I'm so glad, like, I know that it might be possible, you know, through what you guys have done or, and are trying to do. To, to get to something like that, to build out a project like that. that there's um, a lot of, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of cool projects that are looking at that. I mean, I've, I've been hearing about that because I, I used to be in Nashville, Tennessee, you know, which is kind of like a big, you know, medical capital. There's a lot of stuff there. And there were full on companies talking about blockchain for uh, crypto back in early days, 2013, 2014, 2015. And they're like, oh, yeah, we could start, you know, because it solves the coordination problem. A lot of things blockchain does, it's not just the Byzantine generals problem, but there's actually, how do you get different actors to coordinate and agree on a protocol or a standard so, so they can get information in a, in a provable, provably secure and you know permissioned way based on who has the right keys or not. And so there are some projects that are into it and are, are looking into it. It's interesting. But you said one thing I want to highlight. I think it's really important. A lot of people are like, give me blockchain, but no crypto. And sometimes I think they're missing a really important point is that the value of the cryptocurrency that you are distributing to the validators of your blockchain, your block producers, is what makes the blockchain secure. It's not an immutable you know, database and network combo. 
if you can't trust the data. If, if, if I can just 51% attack it, if I can just rewrite it, there's no immutability, you need a high value reward, a cryptocurrency, to actually have a secure blockchain. Or it's just kind of a really poorly engineered database and network. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what I've been saying for years. And a lot of people who like didn't agree with me I guess they continue to not agree with me, but you can't have blockchain without cryptocurrency. I, I know a lot of people think you can, but you just can't. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry I'm not like a, a PhD in computer science to tell you you can't, but I'm also not an idiot. So, <laughs> like, just use your common sense and think it through. And, and Mr. Stokes, Luke, he just explained it to you why. Um, I have an interesting question for you. You have competition, I think. Yeah, yeah. What makes you better than them? And what do you consciously do to try to make them better? Awesome question. I like the second part especially. So what makes us better today for me is, like I said, the FIO request and FIO data features. Those are unique to what we're doing. Paystring has something kind of similar. I think they kind of they used to be called PayID before, uh, before they got into legal trouble with that name. Um, but they're very centralized. Like if I spent a, you know, my career setting up my payment address and it was like, for example, Luke Stokes dollar sign Microsoft.com, right? Like if that was what I put on my business card for like years and years and years, and that was where you could send me crypto and I could do payment requests and stuff. And if Microsoft.com decides to start censoring me, I'm screwed. Like I don't have self-sovereign control over that. It's not an NFT that I can manage, right? So we're doing it in a decentralized way. We're not sacrificing any of what I call your blockchain rights, you know, your ability to control and manage your own value. So, so again, that decentralized payment request, metadata about every transaction, we're not just wallet naming. So there's a lot of competitors that are just doing wallet naming. And then on top of that, and, you know, I, I talked to the ENS guys, they're great. We, we've actually been talking about how we can work together more. But on top of that, some of these chains, like, for example, on Ethereum, the fees are just ridiculous right now. If you're using like Unstoppable Mains or, or ENS, like just to go and map your addresses, is, is insane. And, and so few people are going to do it. The usability there is, is not there. It's one of the innovations we've done with field protocols, many of them. One of them is anybody can pay for an address for someone else. So I can just like the foundation, for example, has a bucket of addresses from mainnet designed to give away free addresses. So we can do a whole bunch of campaigns to give away free addresses. And then on top of that, once you get your address, you have what are called bundled transactions. So you get a hundred interactions of sorts with the blockchain. And you kind of prepaid them basically. So you don't have this like loss aversion that most people have when they're like paying fees every time they want to interact with something. You've already prepaid them. Your wallet doesn't even bother to you know show you about it. It's just like, hey, I'm sending fee requests. I'm canceling them. I'm approving them. I'm mapping addresses. Like I'm doing all kinds of stuff without even thinking about it because I'm not worried about it. Now, if I'm a heavy user, eventually I'm going to get this message that says, hey, you use FIO a lot. You must like it. Uh, you're going to got to pay another $2, $2 to renew your address, get some more bundled transactions. So those innovations are important. To your second question, what are we doing to make these other, other wallet naming solutions better? We have a really cool idea called Simple Send. And it's basically carves off just the first part of what we do, wallet naming, and leaves the field request and field data for a later date. But it makes it that if you had, and we haven't built this yet, it's an idea we're still pitching to a lot of wallets and exchanges and other providers, other wallet naming service providers, that you could have one API as a developer and you would send a human readable address, whether it's lukestokes.crypto, which I own, or lukestokes.eth, which I own, or luke at Stokes. You know, you could just send it to an API and it would give you back the Bitcoin address if you're looking for a Bitcoin address, as an example. 
And so that simple send would be one integration that would cover all wallet naming solutions that exist today and might exist in the future. So if like PayPal comes into the wallet naming space and he's like, you guys are all stupid. We got a million users. We would integrate that also. And then if we had, let's say they bring a hundred million users and we have only a million users, we can integrate that. And now we would have 101 and they'd only have a hundred, right? This idea of interoperability was built into the name of what we're doing for a reason because we're trying to make all crypto easier. So some of the people I work with are kind of like, no, it's a war. We got to be the best, you know, where my perspective is we've got to make crypto easier. Whoever does that and whoever helps other people doing that gets to win. And that means we all win. So I'm about getting these wallet naming solution providers to work together and making it easier for the developers to integrate the protocols. So it's not this like huge burden for them to do. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it sounds like you're focused too. That's what I, I like a nice focused company a nice focused team you know you're not trying to to rule the world uh it's just one thing let's make it easy let's make it usable and that bundled transactions trick is pretty nifty when i think about it because it's something that i've always thought about you know of all these things cost you know crypto to do who's thinking about that but now you've taken that again you've sheltered and protected it the GPP from having to think about those things at all. They just see, oh, the wallet's working as designed. Isn't exactly. that great? We've got another innovation that's related to that. We have this open source FIA registration website. So a lot of the wallets hook into this and anyone can host it. Anyone could do it, but we happen to host this one. And if you don't have a FIO token today, you can still get a FIO address. And that's a big innovation where a lot of projects are like, Hey, we want you part of our walled garden. You have to like be a you know a shiller for our token. You have to go buy our token before you can participate because our blockchain like requires our token, obviously. But we built a system where you can pay in Bitcoin, you can pay with you know USDC, you can pay with DAI, you can pay with all these different cryptos, and you just go through a normal checkout experience just like you're buying any service. You don't even you don't even have to care that it's a blockchain underneath. It could just be a layer two solution. You don't care, and you get your fee address, and then underneath the hood, those fee tokens are paid by the foundation directly. So that way you can get onboarded the FIO experience without even needing FIO tokens, which I think is another really important thing. You guys also have the um, free free addresses, right? There's like a button yes. you click in the wallet. Yeah, so so we've got 125 million tokens. There, there's like never going to be more than a billion tokens. Mm -hmm. And at Mainnet Launch, the community that launched it, we propose, you know, the, the foundation proposed the Mainnet Genesis block and they agreed and they say, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So 12 and a half percent of the tokens are set aside and they're a specific block type. We call it, I think it's a lock type four, where those tokens can only ever be used by the foundation for registering addresses. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, you know, someone can't hack it and like send it to an exchange and sell them all and dump on the market or something. Those tokens are only able to register addresses. So the idea being in the beginning, anyway, we can prime the pump, get a lot of people excited about it. The interesting part about that though, is the counter to that is a lot of people, they don't pay for something, they don't value it and, and nothing on a blockchain can be free. So those addresses are still being paid for. They're just being paid for by the foundation. And there's been some interesting pushback, even from some of the wallets saying, you know what, we'd rather have people pay for it because then they actually care about it. They've got some skin in the game. They realize that this is a valuable service and it's like, you know, two bucks a year, it's probably worth paying for. Mm -hmm. So it's been interesting yeah, internal conversations of how long are we going to keep this free FIO address idea going? Should we redirect those funds? For example, there's a, a FIP. We have 26 FIPs now, FIO improvement proposals, all fully open and available. Uh, we have a steering committee with the community that evaluates these. But we've got one where they're going to 
they're proposing to move a chunk of those tokens, basically burn them and remint them on the chain as rewards for staking. Because a lot of people are like, hey, you're rewarding the wallets and exchanges, you're rewarding the block producer validators, how are you rewarding the token holders? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, they get this great usability service. Okay, that's cool, but can they get more? And the idea is, well, they are voting for the block producers. They are securing the network. Should they get a reward for that? Mm -hmm. So we've got that staking idea that we're working on as well for that purpose. I'd be curious to like, like, the block producers, right? They're they're you said they're they're voted, right? Every so often, right? Yep. Who who are they initially? Were they like uh, universities? Were they private businesses, uh, investment groups? Yeah, that's a great question. That kind of gets a little bit into my backstory. So, like I said, I, I got involved in the Steam blockchain, mm -hmm. which is with the first delegated proof of stake blockchain. What I mean by that is a consensus algorithm where not just whoever runs a full node, like you see in Bitcoin, if you're, you know, you have user initiated hard forks and soft forks, mm -hmm. or not just whoever has a massive amount of money to run a gigantic ASIC farm in a delegated proof of stake. It's just who, who has the most trust within the community, who really has the technical excellence to know what they're doing and run a really secure infrastructure and, and a high performant infrastructure. So when I was involved with the Steam community and eventually as it moved into the Hive community, I got to meet some of the best EPOS people in the space. And a, a number of them kind of went over into the EOS community as well, which is also delegated proof of stake. And so I basically, as a consultant, was like, hey, you guys need to launch this chain. Uh, you know, you got to build a community to get this together because Dapix is a company, that, the private company that raised the funds that's really not even around anymore. All those people work directly for the foundation. They all have their individual worker proposals. They have individual companies that they come under. And so it's a fully decentralized system now. But they needed a way to be like, who's going to launch this chain? So I was able to go and work with friends of mine that I've known for years that I was able to kind of handpick by just letting them know about it. It's not that we controlled it. We just said, hey, by the way, this thing, Field Protocol, exists. We got, you know, we're, we're going to launch this idea. And I was able to pick the technically excellent people that I really appreciate. And most all of them uh, agreed. Some of them really loved the idea, but had too many other things going on, so they couldn't. A couple of them even actually apologized later because after the mainnet launch, after they saw how cool it was, they're like, I do it. I should have listened to you six months ago. And so they came on as validators later. But to answer your question, these are companies, most of them, anyway, not all of them, but most of them are companies that really specialize in running secure delegated proof of stake infrastructure within EOSIO. So they're validators on EOS mainnet, of course. They're validators on, in some cases, Hive, because that's a similar uh, architecture, or they're validators on, on Wax or some of the other EOS IO chains. We also have some wallets, like Garda, for example, is a validator on, on FIO, and they're just a wallet. Part of what FIO also is, is a decentralized autonomous consortia. And so we hope that in the future, it's gonna be exchanges, it's gonna be wallets. And we have another innovation uh, that I think is really interesting, Centralized exchanges have a huge benefit in delegated proof of stake. They can basically take all their user tokens and vote, and they can vote for themselves. And you see this on EOS mainnet, for example, is a bit of a breakdown in governance, and people are complaining that it's you know it's all these large centralized exchanges running the chain, which is a good and a bad thing depending on how you look at it. But one of the innovations with FIO is by default, your tokens proxy to whoever is signing the transactions for your account. So what that means is a decentralized wallet, a, a non-custodial wallet, if they have a really amazing experience and they get a whole bunch of users with their FIO tokens in that wallet, unless that user goes out of their way to manually vote for individual block producers or goes out of their way to set a proxy to vote on their behalf, by default, every transaction they send is going to reinitiate that wallet provider as their proxy. And so what that means is you have this amazing experience. You come out of nowhere and you build this really awesome, really secure, really incredible wallet with a great FIO experience and everybody flocks to it. 
you can spin up a block producer node and just by that delegation of all those tokens, vote for yourself and become a major part of the FIO protocol, yeah. which is by design because you should be, you know, if you're going to invest in making that great experience on FIO, you should be part of the governance of the chain itself. So we've got that in place. And we've also got the idea of block producer service providers, meaning I want, you know, the major, major exchanges and industries of the world to participate but I also want the technically excellent people to know what the hell they're doing for our particular technology. And so we have a model where that can work in both ways, where the company can have governance rights on how they vote for proposals and where the things are going to go through on the chain as far as modifying the protocol. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we can have the technically excellent people actually running the nodes and they can run it on behalf of that person. So these are all the things that we're working on to improve. It's interesting that, that you explain that because I think some people, they don't realize that, yeah, there are a whole slew of different proof of stake consensus mechanisms but under the hood if you have a network that's running fast i guarantee you it's not a network that's distributed with people running raspberry pis you know they don't realize that i don't think people realize that it it is a it is always a trade off there's like this trade off of decentralization performance and resiliency and yeah. robustness and, and security and and i think that you know, EOSAO did a pretty good job of that and finding the balance. Mm-hmm. Um, some would disagree and say, oh, it's centralized, but then they kind of ignore that there are centralized mining farms, you know, in, in China and other places. You know, I can remember when I, I remember when there was one uh, Bitcoin pool that had reached 51%, and the whole industry was like, whoa, what the heck? This one pool has that much hashing it power. And it, it, wasn't you know, slush. it was some other random Chinese pool, right? I forgot which one it was, but they fixed it relatively quickly because yeah. people aren't stupid. They protected their investment. They're like, yeah. okay, I'll make less money with my hashing power, but I'm just not going to go to this pool because that's yeah. just dumb. But it's one of those things where it's like, you don't really know who's running those pools, right? Some of yeah. them are anonymous. Uh, some of them, you can have a civil attack even on hashing. You can have multiple pools that are owned by the same people. Mm-hmm. And so... It, The way I describe it, I think this is the best way I've come up with it. And this came out of like experiencing the Hive takeover. Like when, when, when Steemit was civil attacked by Justin Sun and, you know, and and I've, I've documented this. I think there's evidence enough for me to say that without being concerned about legal ramifications. Like this is what happened. He he had 20 something accounts that he pretended were, you know, different people, but they were all controlled by at least the Tron Foundation, the people he was participating with. And they took over the chain. And so the community responded and said, you can't do that. Uh, you, you may have bought a centralized company, but you didn't buy a community. And so we forked and built Hive. And so there's this layer zero that I think is the most important part about understanding consensus mechanisms for you know, crypto. It's the community that believes in what you're doing. And if you have layer zero security, everything else can work. If you don't have layer zero security, it doesn't matter what protocol or consensus you're using, it's not going to work. And I've seen this again and again and again. You've got pools that get 51% attacked. You've got all these things that happen because if the community doesn't believe in it, it's not going to work. Hmm. Yep. There's Very be true. People. <laughs> people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, D, D could take you know, the Bitcoin protocol, fork it, and launch his own coin today. And it's like, unless there's this amazing community behind it, and I can do the same, and so could you, Jesse, like, it wouldn't matter. It's all about that network effect of the people who believe in it, right? Two steps ahead of you, Luke. I need you guys to go to uh, Dcoin <laughs> at no, <I'm> <laughs> no, I, I don't think I would ever do that. Just because I don't want that drama. That's so much drama. You know, Vitalik can handle it because he tunes it out with highly specialized uh, characteristics. Uh, but that was a very polite way to say that. Yeah, it was, wasn't <laughs> it? I'm impressed with it myself. Actually, I should be a psychologist. 
<laughs> I should talk. But anyways, uh, if I were in Vitalik's shoes, uh, yeah, I'd lose my shit. I really would. I, I would be like, you guys leave me alone forever. I'm going into the mountains. Satoshi knew what was up, man. He's like, I'm out. Forget this. Yeah, <laughs> he saw the future coming. And he was like, you know what? No, I'll pass. I'll pass. <laughs> a lot of these protocols have what they have, like the Godhead, right? They have the person that they think of when they think of that protocol. Oh, it's Bitcoin. That's Satoshi. Oh, it's Ethereum. That's Vitalik. Oh, it's, you know, uh, BitShares or Hive or EOS. That's, you know, Dan Larimer. Actually, in Hive, you could say it's Dan Nolanson, who is actually employee number two of BitShares. He's been leading that with, with Block Trades US. But or you think of like Cardano, you think of Charles Hopkins, you think of Polkadot, you think of uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Gavin, right? Like, so there's always these people that like become, you know, the godhead. And yeah. I think even themselves, they're like, this is stupid. This is supposed to be decentralized. Yeah. Stop looking at me to like solve all your problems, right? <laughs> I think the better the the better the idea, the less that matters. Like over, like I literally forgot Joseph Lubin's name the other day. I was trying to explain Ethereum to someone and like who started it and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, it's the ball guy he scratches his head a lot. Oh, what's his name? And I just forgot his name. Right. And nobody in the world, like maybe some nerd somewhere remembers who created paper money because he's a money historian or a currency historian or something. I'm sorry. You're not a nerd, bro. You're cool in your own right. Or lady, lady, bro. But uh, nobody really remembers who invented paper currency, right? People don't remember. They just remember the idea. They remember the innovation. And the better it is, the less that people remember the person. So uh, those things are kind of irrelevant in my... That's why I think Satoshi's irrelevant. At this point, it doesn't matter if Satoshi was real. It would it would do no thanks to the Bitcoin price. It, it Maybe a day, maybe a week. People would be like, oh my God, Satoshi. And then next week they wouldn't give a damn because Bitcoin works, continues to work, whether you like it or don't like it. I think the price stands for itself on how well it's doing what it said it was going to do. So, um, I don't know. I don't know. Tesla. What do you think when you think Tesla, SpaceX, boring like that? I think it was a different company. He has some pull. He has some sway. Yeah. He's like the Edison of our time. Well, and he's not even that great of an engineer, like, right? Well, when you, like, yeah, I mean, when you say that, you know, he just he's it, he he doesn't even have charisma. Like, he has charisma, but it's like a weird one, right? Yeah, it's really strange. Didn't he tweet like a eggplant emoji to somebody today? <laughs> yeah, to Peter Schiff, he was like, "Yeah, eggplant," which is just kind of funny coming from the richest man on the planet, you know, on paper anyway. Yeah. Uh, I, he's a meme lord, you know. I've always had a, a, an interesting, interesting respect for him. He, I went to the same university as he did. I, I read his biography. Like, I've been very fascinated with the way his mind works. When he, on an early interview, he was like, "They were like, well, who inspired you? What books do you read?" And he's like, "Go read, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, the dude with the key, Ben Franklin. The like, <laughs> dude with the key, yeah. The dude with the key." <laughs> He's like, go read Ben Franklin's autobiography. I'm like, whoa, okay. And so I read that. I'm like, whoa, this guy was amazing. Like he literally had all these incredible ways that he would improve himself daily. He had these like, before spreadsheets were a thing, the dude was making spreadsheets about his own behavior and like how to improve and like amazing dude. And he, he didn't even like patents. He was like, screw that. Just keep innovating, right? So mm -hmm. Ben Franklin was the inspiration for, for Elon. And like, I think Elon Musk's perspective on like, 
protective patents so you can not get screwed by you know patent trolls and then just open it all up to everybody. It's pretty inspiring. And it's like of all the people on the planet today doing stuff that matters, and he gets a lot of crap from a lot of people, even people, friends of mine are just like, that guy, you know, at the same time, I look at it and go, he's looking at the big problems. We need to become a multiplanetary species. We need to stop, you know, doing stupid stuff with the resources we have and be more efficient. We've got this friggin', you know, gigantic thing and fireball in the sky giving us more energy than we need. We should probably take use of it, you know? And so I think he's doing cool stuff. Well, we know and that. I, I, th- I, think, that? I, think, I think there's just no spokesperson to like, who has the platform he has to say the things that people do think if you read the right books, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's, well, it's amazing. Like, how did he get that platform? And I think a big part of it is he's a meme lord. He understands human, like, how memes work <laughs> I think, in our... I think, yeah. Even PewDiePie, if you look at him, his content, he's lit- literally, like, what? He's He was the king of YouTube until India's music channel, right? Who? Yeah. India? Yeah, India. India has, like, their own version of MTV on YouTube, and that basically knocked him off of number one. Holy shit, I gotta look at that. That's gotta be great. But I don't know. I was gonna I was gonna say something, but I quickly forgot. Oh yeah, I was gonna say Jesse. Like yeah, you know, Benjamin Franklin, he's having all these ideas. That's why I have like a thousand ideas a day. Oh, okay. None of them go anywhere. I'm just you know, I'm I'm stretching my mental elasticity I feel and my my creative, you know, my human innovation. Uh-huh. Like that's what I'm doing you know me too and then this podcast we build on each other i think yeah this podcast is my audible journal for all of those ideas so one day someone's gonna find it and think i'm much different than i am (laughs) so anyways i think we gotta wrap it up we're gonna ask well jesse's gonna ask you his trademark question and then i'm gonna ask you our the the original tbp trademark question okay is what you do actually difficult what I do as an individual or as the pro? I don't know. I don't really, the, the, the question, it's context is however you want to take it. Yeah, I know. That's great. I, I would say, yes, building technology on blockchain is really freaking hard. You know, I have a career in technology. Like I said, I built my first websites in 96. And when you have protocols that are this experimental in many ways and, and this decentralized and distributed, it's really difficult to get things done and actually make it work, perform it and secure and everything else it needs to be. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty hard. And, and I'm more leading teams than less coding today in the last couple of years, but it, it's still really, really hard. I believe that. <laughs> you must, uh, you must eat a lot of fruit and drink a lot of water. Cause in 96, I was like, I think I was in sixth grade. I'm 40, <laughs> yeah. I'm 42. I was born in 79. Yeah. Jesus Christ, dude. What is this? Papaya? <laughs> What are you doing over there? I just have always had high metabolism, high energy. Uh, I don't know. Just doing what I love, I guess. You look how Mark Cuban wants to look with all the plastic surgery. (laughs) Sorry, that was a weird weird compliment. (laughs) But I don't know when it happened that all of a sudden I was like, oh, oh, I'm like an old guy now. I'm in my 40s. Like, I forgot those were old people. (laughs) Close. I'm rounding up. I'm practicing already. Uh, well, in 10 words or less, one, I like that you said yes, very confidently, too. Like, usually people are like, oh, I want to be modest or whatever. You're like, no, yeah, it's fucking hard. It's tough. <laughs> it's, way, it's way hard. Okay. Uh, in 10 words or less, 
this one's going to be tough because I feel like crypto is evolving so fast. I don't even know. What should I say, Jesse? Just stick to the original one. The original one? All right. In 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? <sighs> Global nonviolent consensus for controlling your own value. Ooh, I like that one. That's eight. That's less than 10. <laughs> I like it. Well, Luke, thank you for swinging by. Um, I think that we got, we touched on a lot of topics. This is a great interview. We touched on a lot of topics. Um, but most importantly, let's not leave the audience without letting them know and reminding them um, that the FIO, FIO, you said FIO, I think you said three different things. Protocol is designed to be a universal wallet to try to make crypto easy to use. Because right now, it's just not, right? And there's not, you know, I know, like, people like myself, we've been in this long enough. It is easy for us. We copy our address, we paste it. We scan a QR code, whatever. But people don't do those things. Nobody does those things, right? And so for you, uh, Luke, trying to make it easier, I mean, you're, you're on the right track, so... Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And you guys want to learn more? It's uh, fioprotocol.io, uh, and you can you know follow me on Twitter, Luke Stokes. I'm talking about it often. Follow uh, Join Fio as a Twitter account there. And if you know people in the space, wallets, exchanges, influencers, protocols, let them know about the protocol. Say, hey, you don't have to build the usability layer for your for your chain. It's already been done. It's done in a decentralized way where you can actually profit by participating in the group and just super appreciate you guys spreading the word. Thank you. Awesome. Nice. And we are back from that interview. I hope you enjoyed it. It was slightly philosophical. It was heavy on the prof. What's that word you use Corey? Prostatize. Prostatization. Prostatization. Yes, that GRE $25 the Negro, word. Negro domusness. <laughs> you got so close right there. That's the, that's uh, twice in three weeks. You uh, called me color three weeks ago. You <laughs> call yourself Negro Domus. I call myself Negro, but you didn't use an E. You almost used an I on accident. I did not. There's you no got way pretty I close. An I. Run the tape. You're waiting for run it. You're just listening for it. Tapes. You're hoping to get mad. <laughs> Um, no, people get mad at me that I don't get, I've gotten DMs throughout us doing this show, Corey. They get mad at me that I don't get mad at you. And I'm just if like, man, I've history, this... man. Yeah. Like, I've known history. this man for like 15 years. <laughs> like there's nothing he could do. You've, you have like, given me countless official black cards. Yeah. Like, throughout you, know, the years. you guys don't even With, understand. Without prompt, sir. Yeah, like, I never asked for a black card. You just give me one. Like, you should have put him in his place. And I was like, man, I ain't got time for that bullshit. <laughs> Anyways, look, uh, yeah, you know, we're, now we're gonna talk a little bit. I had, I had a physics question for you, Corey, because we were talking about hash rates and all that power, and I just thought to myself, like, you know, my mind races. And so first, I started thinking about Doc from Back to the Future when he got, you know, struck by lightning and didn't die. And then I was like, holy shit, that's a lot of power. So I was like, so if what if you took all that power, like all the power of all the hashing going on and like you grabbed it, 
would you like vaporize or would you become one with the universe? This is a physics question. <laughs> Weird question. It's physics, bro. Uh, no. Would you vaporize? Well, it depends. It depends. Like, what kind of power is it? Like, the form of the power makes a big difference on how it affects you. I feel like you just vaporize. Like, I just, what would you turn into? You get Thanos. Like, like the power is a power different power. thing, right? Like, it's not like energy power. and and the way it's stored and the way it tr- is able to transfer to you are all very different questions. Like, are all things that need to be defined in order to, like, give you an answer on would you be vaporized? If I have to, like, think about the energy involved uh, per second of all of the mining equipment that the, that's fueling all of the mining equipment that's being run to power the Bitcoin network. I'm actually trying if, to calculate and then, and then think about <laughs> that on like uh, a power grid and there being an open, open wire that for some reason you have the ability to touch. Yeah. Super vaporized. There's no doubt about it because because that's like more than the size of the power of Denmark or something like that. Um, but that's not the way it's being used or done or whatever. Like you like, I mean, don't get me wrong. If you grabbed a single ASIC, just a single ASIC, in the wrong place, you'd get shocked pretty hard. So vapor, not godlike energy ball. Uh, but if like you like combined it all in somehow way, shape, or form, uh, you wouldn't be super saiyan. You'd just be super dead. Super saiyan. <laughs> you probably become one with the universe real fast, like in that movie Soul. You know. I see Alicia talking. I don't know if she's talking to us. I think she's like, on, on the phone. phone. I think she's okay, on the she's phone. On, she's she's multitasking. Her <laughs> it's 2021. Okay, I've come up with a number for how much Bitcoin costs per year in electricity. Holy shit, you did? Based on 12 cents per kilowatt hour. Okay. That's a, a good price. That's a good price. consumption rate of 77.78 terawatt uh, hours per year. Um, oh, shit. No, that's per... Wait, no, that's per year. Yeah, okay. That would be $9.3 billion. That sound about right? A year? That seems kind of cheap. That does seem kind of cheap. I think I did something wrong. That's nine point three billion a year. Look at look at like the energy output of a small country. Oh yeah, it's going to be the order of magnitude. What I'm trying to do, I'm trying to see if like if you put all of the salaries of all the banking institution people in the world and see how much they make, and see if Bitcoin is still cheaper in relation to human power. Yeah, that's a that's a something that I don't think people understand that um like the amount of stuff that the 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 lack of trust that you that we get for the security of the Bitcoin network. Like they say like the the, the energy cost of proof of work is worthless. Uh, but when you but it's giving you a lot of features that you can't get elsewhere, like not having to tr- like require humans to do a bunch of work to verify that I sent you money. Um and when you take into account all of the human resources and jobs and infrastructure put in place that handles all of those things that Bitcoin gives you for free, then that like useless work argument kind of goes away, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, just I'm just, I'm just so you know how uh, Janet Yellen, right? She's the uh, she's the Fed lady, right? Yeah. So she always says that. Well, not always, but recently she said that. Uh, Bitcoin mining, like using Bitcoin as currency is, is doo-doo. And it's because one of the main reasons is the electricity cost and the volatility of the currency. So volatility, fine. I'll give you that. Electricity costs, 
Eh, I don't know about that. It's actually uh, it depends. Like if if we live in a world that D wants to believe will exist and that uh, we'll move to more and more green energy um, that is actually facilitating the energy to run ASICs. This is a much more difficult concept because green energy, most of the green energy sources that we have now are not nearly as reliable over the course of all the seasons, depending on where you live. Like wind energy oh. doesn't work for half the year at the output it would like there's peaks and stuff like that and energy yeah. grids energy grids are very vibrant so like if you're thinking about running your own miner and then having like some solar and some wind and stuff all put into it that's not necessarily going to be the most sustainable thing you're going to need backup mm. so like there may be a case for it but like that's a like it's not like i don't understand the the game between uh, the price of Bitcoin and the hash rate, right? So you have this one part where you you have like how much it costs to the like upfront capital for buying mining hardware that's gonna that's gonna be profitable. So like whenever you want to say well, we're gonna talk about Bitcoin here, but Ethereum is a very different thing that has very different costs in uh, what you take into account in the process of mining in Ethereum or other um, Ethereum-like mineable coins. So with Bitcoin, you, you, there's a lot of upfront capital involved with um, even starting to think about doing something that's going to be economically feasible for you because Bitcoin mining is a very small margin game. And step one, get access to hardware that's efficient enough. That means it's, it's, it's close enough to the bleeding edge hardware that um, its, its efficiency is on par. Like the amount of energy it takes as input gives you uh, the right amount of hashing power uh, compared to other people in the network. So like I input one watt of energy, it gives me X amount of hashes. That function of energy to hash has to be on par with everyone else in the network. Otherwise you're behind already. Mm-hmm. If you can get access to that, which is hard because there's only a few distributors, then cool. That's going to require, that's going to require a lot. Once you get to the, uh, getting a bunch of those, you start thinking about, I'm going to need a lot of infrastructure, like physical power energy network infrastructure to house these things and cool them. Cooling, not so much for ASICs. Uh, that like my access to energy over a long period of time and bandwidth and physical facilities needs to be on par with the rest of the world who are doing the same thing. And if you can't find good deals here and if you build up a huge capital cost and access to very scarce resources before you can start to imagine whether or not you have a profitable business because the margins are so thin for Bitcoin mining. You have deep pockets. Whatever you spend on Bitcoin mining, like say if you plan on spending a million dollars worth on mining equipment, you better have like pockets worth like 10 million or like, you know, 10 X way more. There's no, and then you need strategies. Like like go, we've, we've done a few interviews on the show um, with um, mining infrastructure people and the peripheral businesses that build on top of it to then increase the margins that they have. Mm -hmm. Once we have access to this mining infrastructure, that's not profitable enough. We need to do these other things as services to, on top of it um, to help bolster that 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 margin like profit prop, uh, profit margin that we're trying to get to then justify to investors that we can do this for a long period of time, like the cloud contract mining thing, arguably a scam. Did you? <laughs> well, for some, like if you if you're mining out 
infrastructure, I'm sorry, if, if you're, if you're, if you're um, like mining as a service for Bitcoin, probably a scam. Uh, if you're if you're renting space infrastructure as a service for other people to then put their miners, probably not. Well, well not less scam. likely. Less likely yeah, to be scam. less likely. I agree. Uh, and so, like, can you? It's, it, and that's because it's all like that game that I just described is incredibly more complex than I just described it in the first place. Have you guys ever had a miner come on from like China? No, they won't come. On. They don't want to yeah, talk. not from China. Charlie Lee. No, well, maybe he counts, but we had a minor. Um, you yeah, had some American ones. Brother, wait, right? His brother? Oh, his yeah, brother. No, I, I talked to I talked to his brother. Well, I called out his brother at a conference. Yeah, and uh, yeah. that didn't go so well. <laughs> hey, can you put graphene in tattoos? Why do you ask? What a weird question. Well, can you can't you use graphene to like gauge the resistance of a circuit or something like? That? No. It has weird conductivity properties, yeah. But I don't know, like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about a new business proposition: microtransactions. Yeah, yeah, baby. Into like batteries. Microtransactions. Microtransactions but... in the champagne room, baby. Oh. Strippers are like, hey, you can't touch me, right? Oh, but what if you could monetize that touch, homie? What oh. if you could monetize the touch? That's oh, it. God. What? <laughs> Put it I on the wish lightning that network. Is- I wish that you would have started a business with that Legends guy we had on the show a long time ago. Yeah, that would have been and great. And he would have, he probably would have listened to all your ideas and be like, yes. And then Here's he would some money. Have failed, but it would have been hilarious <laughs> to try it. Microtransactions in the champagne room, baby. That's a, that's a, that's it. What is it? A dollar a second. Huh? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah. yeah. Wow. He should have on it. She's got a fizz.org, electronic tattoos, graphene electronic Look, tattoos. I could see Alicia's gears turning. She wants to go in on this idea with me. Think about it. Get a nice little I'm not QR sure if she code. wants to do get that. Some, uh, you know, <laughs> get some circuitry on these uh, Lady of the Night's legs. You know what I'm saying? You know? Anyway, sorry. That, that took a turn. What I actually wanted to say made sense since, and that we spent, get this fucking shit. Uh, this is some shit right here. We I can't believe this. We spent 400 wait, this is three zeros behind this. Yeah. $401.9 million printing dollars last year. Well, that's a good argument for the one not wasting energy. All right. That's the fixed printing cost. We sent we spent another 288.8 million on the variable printing costs. Yeah, so just, that's fuck. just the cost of printing the money. That's just the cost of printing the money. All right. To expand the Fort Worth facility, which now you guys know we keep a facility in Fort Worth full of money, I guess. It was $150 million. Okay. Uh, only 957000 on uh, currency reader machines. So that's not a lot. This Where is pretty cool, Daniel. I got this info from the 2020 currency budget. Cool. <laughs> I, I never thought about yeah. that argument uh, being incorporated into the wasted energy of, of proof of work is the cost of printing money. Yeah, there's so here's some other shit. Like they have it broken down for you. For one and for one dollar bills and two dollar bills, it's seven point seven cents per note. 
for $5 bills. It's, um, and this is federal reserve.gov slash facts slash currency underscore one, two, seven, seven, one dot HTM. <laughs> so for $10 bills, it's 15.9 cents. $20 is 16.1 cents. 50s is 16.1 cents. And $100 bills, it's 19.6 cents per note. Huh. It's wild. The more you know. Cool. So anyways, uh, I don't know where we got on these. Uh, when do we get off the rails? Are we even off the rails? I don't know off the rails. We're, We're making our money. Seeing what, where, how far we've come, essentially, right? Because we're trying to, we're trying to figure out where we are. Like, what, what is Bitcoin doing to justify where it's at? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's why I sold a lot of money. Was yeah. because I don't know, and <laughs> it's and, and I'm starting to get a lot of messages that are dumb, and I'm seeing a lot of news in that like. Things in the news that are dumb because like here's here's like the my baseline is always accumulate. I will always be accumulating cryptocurrency in some way, shape, or form over time. I do that usually through work. Like I do work for things, and then I have maybe like some DCA dollar cost averaging techniques that I have across a couple things. That happens regardless. And then when things get stupid, I sell it. Yeah, Lindsay because, Lohan should have been yeah, a when you start red flag for every stuff. Then I'll take profits. Yeah, because it's like, all right, this is dumb. I'm gonna like yeah. that's that's just good investment. So maybe maybe this is a good question. Where's the where's the baseline for utility? Where does it have to come back? Where you go? Mm-hmm. Ah, that makes sense to bring new people back in. I have no idea for Bitcoin. I have no idea. And that's kind of like what goes back to my previous question of like, what does it offer that other things don't? Nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean. That, that, there is something in network effects. If if, if 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 more people agree that that's the thing to use, then oh, it has more value. There's okay. an answer to that. Regardless of whether or not it's like other things can't do it, doesn't matter. If what this is what people agree on, that's what has value. Sure. And so if, as long as it's able to withhold like what I would call a meme, if it, if it holds on to that meme, it's a valuable thing. And there's nothing that you can say. Like there's, there's no argument against that. Yeah. So... This is this is random as shit, but I I threw a bunch of chicken bones in the pan many years ago, and there's like this tapering effect of where the Bitcoin price falls after these hike these price hikes, and it falls like the tapering effect is almost within a range of like uh, I would say like two hundredths, like three point uh, three two three point three five x lower than it was. Um, now I'm starting to sound really chicken bony, but so it, it, went from, pretty, it went from a like, thousand with arrows on it right now. Yeah, it went from like a thousand two hundred to like nineteen thousand two thousand. It ended up being like a fourteen point some x gain. Before that, it went from like thirty dollars. No, it went from like three to a thousand. So it ended up being like a thirty eight x gain or something like. Anyways it's tapering down on how much higher it goes above the new high. So 20 was the high. We we're going to go way above that. But when we fall back down and have that treacherous fall, like we typically do, then we're going to look, I don't know, for almost, almost like exactly where we are now in price is where it would fall to. As what would you correlate that to? Because you have a couple different historical. factors that just are like historical charts. Into. That's all. I was just looking yeah, at but like, charts. Okay, for, okay, for any given, like, price change there there is 
there are real underlying factors. Like you're never going to know all of them. That's impossible. You, you can't nope. know all of them because humans are irrational and do things for stupid shit. But that you can you can you can guess at like large contributing factors. One of them is going to be declines in issuance. So like you always see trends tend to correlate around the have the happening, right? And 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 then seasonal effects that probably correlate to um, tax laws in uh, where most finances like America. And like, mm-hmm. And, and things like that. So, like, why would it be that much? That like, I couldn't I mean, tell. It, I was just it, using numbers. Yeah, it's also getting to the point where, like, larger financial institutions are becoming are becoming players. So, like, it's all the games that we've been seeing, um, con- like, only contributed by people who really aren't real movers and shakers in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things. And... When these large players enter the arena, which they are actively doing, is all of the historical data going to be worthless because the the historical data is based on people who don't have the same um, activities and tendencies to those who are entering the entering the arena. These yes. large these large financial industries. I would say so like, yes. So, like, how useful is it to think to use historical financial information to dictate or like uh, like like look into the future of future financial actions. If the people who are entering the arena are drastically different people and how they, how they use money. Yeah, you're absolutely, you're not wrong at all. Um, but to me, that's why, um, and then we could probably try to wind it down here cause, uh, running out of time, but I would say that's what makes me the most bullish actually, because those kinds of people, the people that are coming in like in hordes and buying these ridiculously large amounts like your Teslas and your, I don't know, there's probably like 15 or 20 other businesses. All, all the banks. <laughs> all the banks, like they're buying it in such massive chunks. Those kinds of people don't usually let their assets go. They just find derivative things to suck money out of people's pockets that are supported by their assets. So like they are like, here's an asset. Let me make some derivative financial product and you buy that thing, but that thing is based yeah, in They make their asset. money work. They park they their make, money in places yeah. and then they find as many ways as they can to make it work as opposed to like, I'm just holding it and seeing what happens. Yeah. And so that's why I'm more bullish than ever, because if those kinds of people are trying to put this on their balance sheet and then get this mystical thing called a return on assets, they're, they're going to get their return on the assets and it's going to be a lot. Right. So I think that well, that's once again, why, so. why would they choose Bitcoin for this when like, I don't know the majority, they... the majority of that type of behavior, like quote unquote, DeFi is happening elsewhere. Now I did have and, a nightmare. Go ahead. Yeah, I did. And, so. and like over time it's happening more. It's a, like the percentage of it happening elsewhere is larger and larger. So like, like that's something to take into account. Yeah. Like if, if, if these people with these new types, types of like, uh, financial inclinations or, or like behaviors are coming in with a, with like the drastically larger amounts of money and what they want to do can't be done on Bitcoin. Why would they use Bitcoin? Like, I'm not saying they're not going to, or it can't be done on Bitcoin or it won't, but like, it's something you probably should start at least asking yourself. Mm-hmm. These are all, these are big facts. Uh, we should probably point out that Coinbase and JP Morgan have had a relationship for the past few years 
Mm. And Coinbase is about to direct list early March. Oof. And you can see their oh. financials. I posted them Be in the general chat in Slack. Because and you can see how much they've made net this this past year. Oh, that's dirty. Because they have so much money in Bitcoin, like is that their valuation? That's not their valuation, right? No, I was right in the Slack. Fidelity, about. right? Fidelity manages uh I forget like what six trillion? Yeah. Is that how much they manage? Mm -hmm. But then they're like a like a three hundred billion dollar company or something like that? Yeah. I think Coinbase is seeking was originally seeking or was originally evaluated at 70 billion, but I think they're the price I, I'm seeing the price and it's looking like uh like a hundred something billion. Jesus. So yeah, I don't I don't really know. Again, it's it's being traded right now, even before it's listed. Like you can see it on I think was it IFX or something like that. Oh um, yeah, I saw you can you can stake your ETH. Uh, on ETH2 and Coinbase now. That's true. By the way, that wasn't a tough call, but Negro Domus called it. All right. It wasn't tough. It wasn't <laughs> no, tough. Was not, that was not a tough call. That was a, that was a very easy that was a very easy call by Negro Domus this time. But I called it like two years ago. I called now, it like two now, years those, ago. Now, for those, someone asked me about this um, who was curious about it and whether or not it's safe. I would say it's relatively safe. Um, it's way easier than than doing it with your own hardware and 30 and a full 32 ETH because you can do it fractionally. You can put however much Ethereum you want. But that being said, um, the, the rate, the rate will be variable and it will be less than you could get if you do it yourself. The risks are drastically lower um, if you do it on Coinbase, but there are risks. Uh, for one, it's locked up for an indeterminate amount of time. If, if you do it and you, I think you can do it now, depending on your jurisdiction, um, you'd get, you don't get to use that Ethereum anymore until they make an upgrade with, I'm using quote fingers if you're not watching the video, uh, that allows you to then uh, use that Ethereum. So mm. keep that in mind if you decide to do it. Uh, I don't see any, like if I were to like recommend someone try and do it, and then they're, they're relatively like ignorant to all of it, that's a good start. Um, but if you're more serious, then there are better ways of maximizing your money. All right. With that being said, I'm going to go work on uh, graphene tattoos with micro transactions in the champagne room. Uh, that is a genius idea. Whoever does it, you're welcome. Uh, you know, shout out to Megan the Stallion, who, you know, would, you know, love my ideas. Uh, shout out to Zoe Saldani, of course. Uh, shout out to who else? There's so many. Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama. That is correct. Michelle Obama's triceps, Lori uh, Harvey, and Lori Harvey. Uh, Lori Harvey's back. Why does everyone just like know the people you want to shout out? To? I think Alicia's just keeping a list for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She does. Wait, can she I add on this list? Yeah, you can shout out to whoever you want. She said, she said no, I, I am shout out. No, I'm shout out to Daniel and Alicia, of course. Yeah, no, 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 no. Like, no, but can I can I add an extra famous person? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Can you shout out Michael B. Jordan? Yeah, shout out to Michael B. Jordan for Creed. Yeah. Shout out to Creed? No, no. Shout out to Michael B. Jordan for his acting in Creed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Shout was out to he, Michael B. Jordan. Was he the main character? Yeah, he was the boxer. Wait, do you know that he's getting down with Lori Harvey, or is that just totally random coincidence? No, I just saw the movie again today and just fresh on oh, my mind. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. he's he's uh, he's definitely bumping uglies with Lori Harvey, who I just gave a Wait, shout really? out to. Wait, really? Yeah, really. Yeah. I did not know that. Well, that that's crazy. Uglies. Yeah, bumping uglies, you know. Interesting. Okay.
Oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you for the sound. So, uh, you know, we're going to leave it at that. I don't know. <laughs> go, to the, go to the bitcoinpodcast.com. Join the Slack. Become a patron. You know, there's perks to this shit. If you're a patron and you're in the Slack, then you could join the private patron channel where we talk about all kinds of cool ass crypto shit that, you know, could probably benefit your life. So you might want to do that. You never know when you might slide across a conversation and then you end up getting some crazy random ass DeFi project. And then, oh, my Lord, you've got airdrops coming out your ass and then you don't even know what to do. There have been many people who've gotten jobs just by hanging out in the Slack. Yeah, you got airdrops coming left and right, dropping all over you. All of a sudden, you're fucking buying PS5s for every room in your house. You're like, what's going on here? Oh, yeah, I joined the Bitcoin podcast Slack. Ain't that some shit? I owe it all to those guys, all to them. Yep, that's how that story goes. All right. (laughs) And and I was a patron. Yeah, yeah, and I was a, yeah, and I was a patron. (laughs) Yeah, that's how that story goes. And I bought stuff from the store. They got a cool store. They sell bean bags. Yep. And <laughs> underwear. Not bean bags, bean bag covers. Bean bag covers. That's bean bag. You can do bean bags too. You, you can. Just, it's both. I think it's right. bean bags. I remember there being bean bags unless unless we Daniel's be, taking them out. It should be a little bit more pragmatic, like erasers. It should probably be like erasers. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, get on that. TVP erasers for everybody. TVP erasers. All patrons. I don't care how much it costs to send it to them. Yeah. All right. Uh, or one of those like pins that's the five colors. I was always jealous kids. That Adam. never work ever. Yeah. They work for a day. They work yeah. for a day maybe and then they never work again. Like look at fucking Jessica. You like, click one of them and you start riding like, damn it. You just, like do the other one start riding. Damn it. So you, just, you do through all five and none of the pins work. Yeah. It's a fucking waste of money. Thanks, Lisa Frank. All right, guys. Uh, play the outro. Play the outro.